0: Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. So God, we pray that we hear from you today. We need you, Lord. We pray these things in your your name, and God, would you just speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome, friends. We're glad that you're here today. We continue in our Abraham series, and so if you're new with us, uh, you're watching online for the first time, or you're listening to the podcast, I want you to know something. We go through entire... Chunks of the Bible. We don't bounce around and pick the stuff we want to preach on. We don't, clearly, we don't pick the easy stuff we want to preach on. Last time you heard from me, um, okay, so we're in the Genesis passage, right? We're in Genesis, the story of Abraham. It's called Great Faith, Warts and All. So the last time I preached was a couple weeks ago and it was on circumcision. Today, I get Sodom and Gomorrah. And I chuckled when Mary invited our kids up and uh, she said, Come on, you heard it too. Come on, kids. Um, we 're going to talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah today, and what I want you to know is this is not typically how we roll uh, the children 's ministry has a different emphasis on what we 're talking about today, and they will be given a take home paper right and there 's questions on the bottom and so parents, we encourage you to take this, read through these with your kids on the way home or sometime during the week what we want to get you guys engaged with the text that way so I preached on circumcision, Sodom and Gomorrah today. So you got to do me a favor. The next time I come up, you can't leave. It does get better. So let me read our text today. We start now. We are in Genesis chapter 19, and I'm going to be reading 1 through 29. So hear now the word of the Lord to you and to me. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside your ser- to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you want with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else in here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters, and he said, hurry, get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, "'Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, "'or you will be swept away when the city is punished.' When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, "'Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. "'Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away.' But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in the sparing of my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. It is small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I can't do anything until you reach it. That is why this town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah toward all the land of the plain and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Golly. So today we look at Lot, and and the whole time that we are following the story of Abraham, Lot is somewhat of a periphery character who gets his own chapter in this story, and yikes, what a chapter, right? Our sermon series is called Great Faith, Warts and All, and today we're going to see great faith, but we see that demonstrated through Abraham, and we see all the warts of Lot. Now, let's recap, okay? So the first time That we see Lot is in chapter 12. This is at the calling of Abraham. And all the author wrote was, and Lot went with him. That's all we know. The second time we encounter Lot, there's conflict with Abraham after they both have been expelled from Egypt. They both have too many possessions. They can't live in the land together. So Lot goes toward the plain where Sodom and Gomorrah is. And Abraham went toward Canaan, right? They split up. Now here's the thing. Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. That's where Lot ended up. The third time, we didn't really cover this. It's chapter 14. This is when Abraham rescues Lot. The fourth time we encounter him, he's the object of Abraham's plea to God in in Genesis chapter 18, which leads us to today. Lot, in Sodom, Two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening. And Lot, you see in the text, it said, was sitting in the gateway of the city. This is a place of prominence. This would be like sitting on the city council of Sodom. Notice Lot's regression. Once he separated from Abraham, his his trajectory, it took a fall. You see, he was living among the cities. He pitched his tent near Sodom, and now he's a local of Sodom. And it's clear from the text that Lot knew the vibe of Sodom. He knew his people. He knew the wickedness his visitors would have to contend with if they were left alone in the town square. And yet he remained among those people. They were his people. He was one of them. So let's look at Lot now. Lot seems to be so connected to his surroundings that when the angels warn him and his family to flee because the Lord is going to destroy it, he hesitated. Did you see that in the text? Now, side sermon. This is the danger of being okay with everything that isn't okay. Is that everything that isn't okay starts to seem normal. And then we get a lesson on how not to be a father of daughters. Did you see that? Hey, guys, you want to have your way with these visitors? Well, I have two virgin daughters who've never been with a man. Would you like them instead? Dad of the year, right? And then, then, check this out. We're not covering this part of the story, but you can read the rest of the chapter, the rest of chapter 19. Um, but it's one of the lowest points of human depravity in Scripture. you got, you got to understand this thing. Um, lot's of depravity goes far deeper than we read this morning it continues about the story of Lot and his two daughters. Again, a second lesson from this guy on how not to be a father. And it's yucky. And if you're not familiar with it, it, it's this. His daughters, now that Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed, they don't have sons-in-laws anymore. So their plan then is to get dad drunk, have sex with him, and bear a lineage that way, in a cave. So Lot... The Sodomite, who's now outside of Sodom, still has a lot of Sodom in him. You can take the man out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of the man. And that's what we encounter with Lot. And so at this point, I find it very hard to find any redeeming qualities to Lot. And I've been looking, I've been trying, there's got to be something to admire about Lot, right? Is he a man of great faith? Not really. There's nothing in the text that would, that would lead us to that conclusion. He's, he's far more warty than he is faithful. Is he a man of character? And I think as far as Genesis is concerned, it doesn't appear so. And what legacy? Okay, what legacy did he live? He actually made the good book, right? His story ends with him having sex with two daughters and impregnating them both in a cave. What kind of legacy is that? And even as I was you know, preparing for this sermon this week, I'm like, I'm done with Lot. This is gross. I just feel yucky thinking about it and talking about it. (laughs) I'm done with Lot. But here's the thing about this guy. And this blows my mind, and it makes no sense to me at all. But if you turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, Lot is described by Peter as a righteous man. Lot? How did that Old Testament dirtbag get his righteous badge? You see, I get Abraham's righteousness. We read in the text, Abraham believed in the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. I can wrap my head around that one. Abraham's faith. Credit it to him was credited to him as righteousness. God pulled him out, and Abraham said, "Okay, it doesn't make sense, but I believe you. I trust you. That's righteousness." Abraham gets that, but Lot? How'd that guy get this righteous badge? Peter wrote that Lot was quote a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, he's talking about Lot lived among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, end quote. Okay, he was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Was he tormented enough to not be a prominent man of that city? Was he he tormented enough that he'd be okay with throwing his daughters to a horny mob of men? That's a righteous guy? Lot probably knew about the Lord through Abraham's testimony. He probably had just a little bit of faith that God was who he said he was. And Lot seems to have one foot in God's kingdom and one foot firmly planted in the world. He was okay being a man of some faith, and yet he loved Sodom. And here's the truth. When we start thinking about Lot like that, we got to understand that the hard truth that we're confronted with today is that we're all a bunch of Lots. I'm Lot. You're Lot. Anyone who has ever sinned is just like Lot. And if you're in a bad spot, listen, if you're in a bad spot and your only hope is the saving hand of Jesus Christ, you are Lot. If you know there is nothing you can do to make you righteous other than receiving the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, hey, nice to meet you, Lot. So why is Lot called righteous? It wasn't because of his behavior. It was because he believed. And this ought to give sinners like us hope. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you too, here's the gospel, you are righteous as well. And when you respond to God in faith, everything Jesus is and has done now belongs to you. It covers you. This is an extension of what Pastor James talked about last week. And when he was talking about bringing in a sleeping bag, do you remember that illustration? We're dirty, we're filthy, and when we trust Jesus, his righteousness covers us. And we stand before God as righteous people, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's what imputed righteousness is. We go from unrighteous to righteous, not because we clean up our act and become better people. We can't do that. We become righteous because of what Jesus has done. We say, yes, Jesus, guess what? New creation, you stand righteous before the Father. That's how it works. That's how a dirtbag like Lot gets called righteous. It's called grace. Grace. And the righteous, you see, receive what I like to call, what I'm calling here for this sermon, the parking lot hand of God's grace. I'm going to explain this, okay? Parents, grandparents, older siblings, babysitters, anybody who's been charged with keeping a child alive, you know that if your kid or whatever kid you're supposed to keep alive is running through a parking lot, you're going to have to get heavy handed at some point, right? This is the parking lot hand. They start running, you yell to stop and a car pulls out and somehow you have lifted them off the ground. You're holding them tightly and you're kind of mad about it because they don't get the severity of what's going on but you've just used your parking lot hand. You did it to save their life and it's not gentle and I've used that hand before when my kids were younger and the look of shock they gave me after they were snatched was awesome. And sometimes you've got to get rough to save a life. And we see this parking lot hand of God's grace. We see this rough grace two times in two gospel previews in Genesis 19. Did you see that? When I was reading that text, did you you hear the gospel a couple times? It's in there. Often when we talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we're talking about God's wrath. But coupled with God's wrath is the gospel where God reaches out and saves sinners. This isn't just a text about destruction. This is a text about God reaching out and pulling out people who have no hope. Two times. You see, Lot is trying to, the first time we see the gospel here is Lot is trying to talk the mob down, and he's completely overwhelmed and powerless against them. Remember, they're mobbing his house, and the the angels strike him blind, and and Lot's like, "I, I got this. Let me go disperse the crowds. And he goes out there, and he tries to reason with these people He's completely overwhelmed. He's completely powerless against them until verse 10, we read, the men inside the house reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. That is the hand of grace. That's what God does to the powerless, the helpless. Lot's words couldn't suffice until the Lord opened the door and pulled Lot back inside. Until the Lord opens the door and pulls us back inside. That's gospel. The second one, is when Lot hesitated to leave the place where God was going to destroy. It kills me that Lot hesitated, but Lord, I love it here. Sodom's so great. Verse 16, the men grasped. That's the Hebrew, and it is a very violent action in the Hebrew. It is not gentle at all. The men grasped. They're full-on parking lot, handling Lot at this point. The men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. Why? For the Lord was merciful to them. That is the parking lot hand of God's saving grace. And I love this because this is the story of a God who so loves his people that he's willing to use his parking lot hand of grace on sinners like Lot, on sinners like us, on a sinner like me. Even when we don't get it, and we take it lightly, and we hesitate like Lot, God throws out his hand, and he snatches us, he grabs us, so we don't have to face his wrath. You see, God's grace is violent because God's wrath is violent. And I want you to know something. Sodom and Gomorrah is like a movie trailer. Sodom and Gomorrah is the trailer that comes before the main feature. And the main feature is when Christ returns as king and judge. So I want to offer us a warning, and I want to offer us a word of hope. Here's the warning, and this is sometimes hard for us to process. Here's the warning here, and we see it in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we read about it in Revelation. Here's the warning. God's mercy has a limit. It doesn't just extend forever. God's mercy has a limit. Jesus will return as king and judge. So that's the warning. Here's the word of hope. We are in a time of grace. This is an age of mercy. We live in an age of grace, an age of mercy. Again, back to 2 Peter, and listen to what Peter wrote. But by the same word, the heavens on earth, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is 2 Peter. And the the correlation with Genesis 19, with Sodom and Gomorrah, they're striking here. Peter continues, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." That's why this is an age of mercy. That's what we're living in now. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Genesis 19 and 2 Peter. And this is a time of grace because God's mercy has its limit a time of grace. Why? So that no one should perish. So here's my question. Do you want the grace of God to grab you? Do you want to exchange your unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness so that when the main feature begins, you're okay? It's yours when you believe in faith that Jesus is Lord. So if you're watching this, Or you're listening to the podcast, or if you're here and you haven't yet received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, make today your day. When we say, Yes, Lord, I believe. I want to exchange everything I'm not and everything that is incomplete about me for everything that you are and everything that is complete about you. I I want to do this trade. I know the math isn't fair, but that's who you are. When When you say yes, I submit to you, Jesus. Come into my life and make me new. You are a new creation. That's what God's word says. So if you want to do that today, the way you do that is by saying, Jesus, I surrender. I trust you. I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. And I give my life to you. If you said something like that today, if you prayed something like that today, if you believe that your only hope is Jesus Christ, welcome home. You've got to let us know. Write it on your communication card or come talk to Pastor James or myself or, or Pastor Bill or anybody. Just tell somebody because you're part of the church now and we don't go through this alone and we've got to know and we've got to celebrate. But I'm going to continue here with our 2 Peter passage because it ties right back to Genesis 19. This is 2 Peter 3. He writes this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, since God's mercy has a limit, And this is an age of grace. What kind of people ought you to be? Fantastic question. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Okay, so God's grace has a limit. In the meantime, we're called to be holy and godly. Who's doing well in that? How are you doing in your holiness and your godliness? And do you struggle with it like I do? But I trust God. We trust God. And by trusting God, listen, by trusting God and surrendering to God, Christ's holiness starts to happen. It's called sanctification. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it's great. But here's why that matters. There's a point to this. You see, we are called to be holy and godly because during this time of grace, our character matters, and it's our character that is going to inform our testimony about a God who is good and great. Here's a perfect example of why our holiness and godliness matters. You see, both Abraham and Lot had to convey very important things to their respective people. You remember this? God comes to Abraham okay, Abraham, I'm going to change your name. You're not going to be Abram anymore. You're going to be Abraham. And I'm creating a covenant with you. I will be your God and, and you will be mine. And your descendants after you will belong to me. That's the covenant. Now, here's the thing about a covenant. We're going to mark it. And Abraham's like, cool. Can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Noah got a rainbow. And God said, I want your foreskin. I'm going to circumcise. I want all the people in your household to be circumcised. In Genesis 14, Abraham's entourage contained 318 trained men. These are guys of fighting age. By Genesis 17, there are hundreds of men, plus all the babies, plus everyone who's not in fighting shape. There are hundreds of men. And our text says, on that very day, Abraham circumcised every man in his household. So Abraham goes to all the guys and he's like, guys, you won't believe this. God created a covenant with me and drop them. The way God wants to mark this covenant is through circumcision. And the Bible says on that very day, every one of them did it. A gravity of character, right? Now, Lot, this is why our character matters. Lot has two people, two son-in-laws, that he has to convey a message to. Two people, Abraham, hundreds of men. Guys, here's what Lot said. Guys, to his two son-in-laws, you guys, you got to get out of here. God's going to destroy this place. But his son's-in-law thought he was joking. This is why our character matters. Abraham, guys, all of you, foreskins, let's go. On that very day, Lot, to two men. Guys, you have to get out of here. And they say, Right, what a joke. Listen, when our character is out of step with our beliefs, we're a joke. So, what kind of people ought we to be during this time of grace? the kind of people who walk their talk. You see, Abraham lived outside of Sodom. He didn't look like they looked. He didn't act like they acted. He believed in the Lord, and as such, he was holy. That's what it, this is what holy means. It means to be set apart. You're different. And because he was holy and set apart for something greater, he lived a godly life. He didn't live a perfect life. But his character was in such step with what he believed that when he told hundreds of men that that day they had to be circumcised, they went okay. Lot was a sodomite. He lived in Sodom. He looked like they looked. He wasn't all that different. And when he had to say something important, they laughed at him. You see, in this age of grace, when God's judgment is imminent, your character will either bend someone's ear or you make them laugh. Our walk has got to be in lockstep with our talk. Let me give you an example. So last Sunday, me and Luke and my sister Caitlin, we left here. We went directly from Lakewood Grace to Yakima because Ava and the rest of our family were over there in Yakima because she was part of this um, state choir thing, and it was great. And so that's why we left off yesterday, uh, and we really wanted to help pack up. But we had to go. And so we're all there in Yakima and we're walking to the venue and we walk by this church. And we're in a pretty rough part of town, but we walk past this church and it was an old church, stone, and, and there were steps leading up to it. And, and this, there was this one guy who was sitting on the steps of this church. And as we walked by, he's like, hey, how y'all doing tonight? And we're like, yeah, good, good. And he goes, hey, I want to tell you something. God loves you. God's grace is so, so good. And I was like, oh, my man. Like, thank you for saying that. But yeah, you're preaching to the choir. God is good. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I love God's grace. And then he takes out a joint and he just goes, I love God's grace. And I was like, can we do that? Like, is that, a, is that a pastoral call in the Presbyterian church? Can, is that going to fly with session? But here's what happened. Our yes of affirmation, like, yeah, man, yeah, 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 turned into, okay. Yeah, right. When I walk... Is out of step with our talk, we're a joke. God's mercy has a limit. We ain't got time to be joking. Christians, if your walk and talk are out of step, you're a joke. Zero kingdom impact. But if your walk and talk are in step, that will touch eternity. Huge kingdom impact. And so here's. Here's where we recap, and and I'm about to bring this to an end, so don't worry. So listen, righteousness matters, okay? Thank God his parking lot hand of grace grabs sinners like us and covers us with his righteousness. Thank God for that. Thank God that our character matters, that righteousness ought to give you a powerful testimony about a powerful God and people listen to what you have to say instead of laughing you off. And I'm going to end with this, and you can't miss this one. Intercessory prayer matters. Check this out. Abraham asked God for the rescue of his nephew Lot, and he pleaded for Sodom. This is all chapter 18. Abraham is, he doesn't specifically say Lot, but when he goes, okay, God, you you can't you can't just wipe away the wicked with the righteous. What if there's 50 people? And God said, Fine, 50 people. If you find 50 righteous people, I'll spare the city. What about 40? What about 30, 35, 20? What about 10? 10 righteous people? Because Abraham was doing the math. Okay, we've got We've got Lot, we've got Lot's wife, two daughters, two son-in-laws, four other people. There's got to be four other people, four other righteous people. It didn't pan out. And so Abraham is pleading with God. Verse 27, early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He had stood before the Lord, pleading for his wayward nephew. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. And I think a lot of us can relate to this verse. Verse. Because I know that there are, I've heard your stories. I know that there are grandparents. I know that there are parents pleading with God for the rescue of your son, of your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, your niece, your nephew, a best close friend. You have pleaded and and you've been praying. I know that there are parents praying for God's grace to snatch a wayward child. And some mornings, you see, some mornings you get up and all you see in front of you is the smoke and ruin and you wonder. Did you hear my prayer? Is my lot safe? Will you have mercy on my child, my grandchild? Will you have mercy on my friends? Will you rescue them in your grace? And so I want you to take hope in verse 29. Listen to this. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Listen, your righteousness matters. Your character matters. Your prayers matter. Your prayers are heard. Church, don't ever stop praying. Don't ever give up don't ever go quiet. Don't ever lose hope. Because in this time of grace, listen, that not one should perish. God hears your prayers. Lord, that in your parking lot hand of grace would snatch up my son, my daughter, my grandchildren, my friends. Lord, would you have mercy? Not my will, but yours be done. How does God not honor a prayer like that? Come on. Thank God Christ's righteousness covers lots like us. That's our only hope. Thank God he has snatched sinners with his parking lot hand of grace, sinners like us, and made us, given us a powerful witness. And thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord, that the next time I preach, it's going to be an easier passage join join with me now in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much because you are so faithful. You are so good. And God in this story of destruction, we see your grace all over it. And so God, help us. We ask that that Lord our actions would mirror what we believe that our actions would match our faith. And we thank you, Lord, for covering us when we fall short. Thank you, God, that you hear our prayers. You are not done. We do believe, Lord, that because you're coming back, that even though we encounter war, heartache, disease, we know, Lord, that you are not done. You are coming back. And because of that, Jesus, we have hope that better days are ahead. So, God, we love you. And we trust you. Thank you for having mercy on lots like us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lakewoodgrace.com connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.